Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. But the power of ChatGPT is processing information and understanding that information and then making it available. So think about processing information. Imagine if you had an AI model that went through every single local law that has ever been written over time and processes that and then gives that to you as a business owner or as an individual and now allows you to navigate your community in a, almost as if you are the most expert urban planner on the planet you know more and everything about your community now because you've processed that information in a way that is usable. I would like that to be outside of these walls. So for your son and for my sons and daughters to be able to think that it's socially normal to go to somebody and ask, hey, what is it that you do? On the street, on the bus, on the train, because we're so inhibited by being in our own bubbles that this is a safe space that teaches us we can go and talk to folks and find out what they do. Hey, wait, 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 wait. I know you wanna watch this next video, but listen, if you are an entrepreneur, business coach, business consultant, or a small business owner who has a story and wants to learn how to create multiple streams of income from your story, I need you to text me right now. My book to 646-687-4152. That is my personal number. I have been an author for over 12 years. I've written 10 books. Four of them have been bestsellers and I've sold over 100,000 books. But I've also helped a lot of my clients take their expertise and put it into a story, then create multiple streams of income from that. So I wanna help you do the same thing. So text my book to 646-687-4152. All right, let's go back to the video. And so this is going to be a great conversation because uh, a lot of us uh, have uh, some living legends that are within us, um, and there's some ups and downs that happen, uh, with, you know, within within getting to where they are. Um, and so I'm excited to 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 be the host of this panel. Uh, for those who don't know, my name is Ash Cash. Uh, I am the host of Inside the Vault, the greatest money mindset show on the planet. Um, and my goal is always to uh, help people learn the mindset that helps you become successful, right? Because when you think about a bank, the most important where they keep all of the jewels, all of the money, everything is inside the vault, right? And when you think about people, our mind is very important, right? That's the, that's where we keep all the valuables inside our vault. Um, and so without further ado, I want to introduce my esteemed guests um, who are going to really give you some enlightenment. Um, and so uh, first... To my right, we got my brother, Dr. Amin Ra Mashareki, currently the director of data strategies at the Bezos Earth Fund. Um, he is a renowned figure in the field of data science and urban analytics. Um, his extensive career includes serving 
as the global director of the AI lab of the World Resources Institute, head of machine learning at uh, Urban, uh, and as an adjunct faculty member of NYU Center of um, Urban Science and Progress. Notably, Dr. Masharecki was the first chief analytics officer of the New York City uh, and director of the mayor's office of data analytics during the de Blasio administration, as well as a White House fellow and chief technology officer at the Office of Personal Management in the Obama administration. That, that's, the, that's the written version. My version is he is the leading scientist of AI, one of the most important people as it relates to artificial intelligence, and he is from our beloved Brooklyn, New York. Ladies and gentlemen, round of applause, Dr. Amin Ra Mashariki. My brother. Uh, next, we have uh, Robert E. Carnegie Jr., a former New York City council member for the 36th district and a native of Brooklyn, New York, has led a multifaceted career spanning politics, sports, and education. The son of the late Dr. Robert E. Carnegie uh, Sr. Uh, and Ellen J. Carnegie, he played center for St. John's University, Final Four team, and later pursued professional basketball overseas. Um, Carnegie earned a master's degree in organization management from Mercy College and became an accredited, a credentialed alcoholism and substance abuse counselor, opening a treatment center in Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn. In politics, he made significant strides as a New York City council member, uh, chairing key committees and spearheading important legislatures like the Khalif Browder Bill, like the Khalif Browder, Browder Bill, uh, serving as superdelegate for President Obama's re-election. Currently, he leads client strategies at 61610 uh, Collective, drawing on his legislative and policy expertise. That is the written version, but we have a living legend, 610, from council member to cannabis in the building. Everybody, round of applause for Robert Carnegie Jr. Um, and so, and so I, I think this is an important conversation because I, you know, for, for many years, you know, myself as somebody who grew up, uh, I grew up in, in, in Harlem. Nobody attacked me because I know y'all, you know, what I mean, we, Brooklyn, y'all different in Brooklyn. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's why I said, y'all, y'all caught how I said our beloved Brooklyn, but I'm really from Harlem, but I was like, let me play the room. But I grew up in Harlem, like single parent, and, um, there was a lot of like adversity that I had to go through, um, in order to be where, where I am today. Um, and a lot of times people see the end result, right? They see, you know, this, 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 this success story, uh, but not understand that it took a lot of ups and downs to get where we are. Um, and so if each of you could just give us, um, you know, just talk a little bit about, so each of you, could, if you could talk a little bit about, uh, you know, where are you today, right? Um, and what are some of those adversities that you had to go through to be where you are? So <clears throat> currently, you mentioned cannabis. Um, I own and operate one of the, well, the number one dispensary in the state of New York. Um, and uh, I'm currently opening a few more where we employ at the flagship store over 75 black and brown young men and women, um, a lot of which who are coming from the criminal justice system. So we had an intention to make sure that we could employ and put people on a path not to employment, but to entrepreneurship. So that was, that's, that's a mission and vision. 
for me, one of the most difficult things was transitioning from sports, believe it or not, to community service, to politics, and to business. That's not an easy transition. People have the tendency to pigeonhole you, right? And so if you, I happen to play on one of the most famous New York teams ever, which was the team that was made up of all athletes from the five boroughs and, and New Jersey, which is the sixth borough, um, took a team to the final four, you know, and that was, that was incredible. So in a lot of people's mindsets, that's who I am. So the service in the community sometimes comes secondarily to that. And now the business is tertiary to that. So that's, that's, a, that's been a difficult thing to, to overcome. When somebody says hi to me on the street, I don't know which Rob they're talking to. Whether they're talking to the Rob that they enjoy watching play at St. John's, whether they're talking about the Rob who, you know, uh, put forward some substantive legislation or currently the Rob who is making sure that black and brown people are integrated into the vertical supply chain of cannabis. Yeah. And, 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 if, and if you could talk a little bit more about, about the, the cannabis business, if, if you could talk a little bit more about the cannabis business and some of the, some of the um, struggles you're having, right? Meaning that, you know, I, I know that once cannabis was legalized, there were a lot of barriers to entry that happened with the people that were criminalized from it. And so if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so that's, that's, that would take a whole nother panel. Yeah. But quite frankly, the, the, the legislation that allowed for that was good-spirited and it was, it was laudable legislation. It just wasn't thought out correctly. So the very people who were supposed to benefit from it initially did not. And there were many injunctions, many shutdowns and start-overs again. And so people of color, I represent probably 5% of actually who's in the market of color doing this right now. And it was really designed to do that. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get into it actually to be an owner. I wanted to make sure that the state honored their commitment to people in our community and making sure they had access to pathways to wealth because that's what the, that's what the bill of sale was that this market, which is going to be a new emerging industry, this is a billion-dollar industry, we're going to let you get a head start. People of color, people who've had negative impact with, the, with, the, with law enforcement, and that has not necessarily been the case. And anybody will tell you that uh, ease of entry into the market is even harder now because it's not money. It's actually having site control. So if you don't own or have a lease already executed, it's very difficult to, to demonstrate that you can stand up a business. Powerful. I'm Rob. What's good, man? What's good, man? Um, so I, I, I think the way I'll talk about diversity is coming up in Brooklyn, New York, Bed-Stuy, I sort of, I really, at a young age, was into math, math and science. And I got to say that- Wait, can we, can we clap for that, though? Because I, I, I was not, so I think we should clap for that. So coming up in Bed-Stuy and in Brooklyn, where math was my thing, science was my thing, um, but I didn't really, be, I was, the best thing that happened to me was having a family infrastructure that allowed for me to really focus my energy towards that math and science. But coming up in the community that I came up in, a lot of my friends didn't quite understand 
you know, what I was doing when I was going to summer school for math when no one wanted to go to summer school. When I was going to science skills programs when everyone was trying to go to regular summer camps and have fun. And so I didn't really connect with a lot of folks around me except for my close network. And then when I left, my first job was at, um, you remember a company called Motorola? I was a scientist at Motorola at my first job, and I worked on um, a technology that's used now called Bluetooth. And so I was one of the first scientists on that team. But I was also pushed out. Thank you. I was also not accepted in that world as well. It was very difficult. I was the only African-American in all of Motorola Labs and I was not accepted. Even, you didn't mention, but um, prior to heading up AI for the Bezos Earth Fund, I was the senior principal scientist at NVIDIA, which is now one of the largest companies, AI companies in the world, and I was a senior principal scientist. When I was hired into that company directly by the CEO, do you know how many African Americans worked at NVIDIA? There were 17,000 employees at NVIDIA. How many were African-American? Just somebody throw out a guess. One, two, three. We're like 17. Wow. 17,000, 17. Yeah. Now it's at a hundred and something of 17,000 employees. So my whole journey was this dichotomy of growing up in Brooklyn, growing up in Bed-Stuy, and not having a lot of friends that I could talk to about computer science but then working in a space where I couldn't talk to those people. And that was one of the biggest challenges. But thankful to family and close friends for really keeping me on the straight and narrow as I um, came through this journey. And I'll I'll tell a quick story. My father is sitting in the audience. I'll tell a quick story. Joe Mashariki. So um, I went to Brooklyn Tech High School, which Brooklyn Tech, when I went, it was a lot going on and I had experienced, because I was in the computer science program at Brooklyn Tech and there wasn't a lot of African-Americans in the computer science program major, I experienced a lot of racism. So because of that, I left and I went to HBCU. So I went to um, a Lincoln, Lincoln University, which is an undergrad for, for my undergrad work. And my dad drove up to pick me up um, from school after my first year. And I was a computer science major at Lincoln. And we're in the car, and I'm trying to find stuff to talk to him about. Turned to him, and I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to leave the computer science major and probably go into something like political science for business. And my dad was driving, and he was like, yeah, you could do that, but then you're also going to be paying for your own college education, too. (laughs) And so it was experiences like that with close friends and family that really galvanized behind me and help push me forward to the space that I am now. Yeah, yeah. I love it, love it. And so, and so my, my next question for, for, for you both are, um, when you go through this transition, right? So we grow up in certain environments um, and there's a lot of times where, you know, our, our parents or our friends or the people who are around us may not necessarily see our vision or know which direction that we're going. So there's this sort of like a lonely space, if you will, of saying, you know what, like, like, like for me, I was a banker. Uh, and then when I transitioned from banking to becoming an entrepreneur, a lot of, a lot of, you know, we didn't know entrepreneurs. So people looked at me like I was crazy. 
for wanting to leave a secure job to become an entrepreneur. And so there was a lot of um, uh, loneliness, if you will, uh, you know, just on my journey. Uh, you know, Robert, as a politician, you as a scientist, like we don't, that's not something like we, you know, rapper, wall player. Like we see, we see the things that we get the support from. Um, how do you deal with that? Because I know there's people in this crowd right now who have a dream, who, but, but their dream is not necessarily something that's, everybody might be in agreement with um how do you keep going towards a dream that you see but still not like if you don't get the support from the people around you how do you deal with that i, I would just quickly say that i think one you have to understand that anything that you do uh, adversity is a part of that right and so my old calculus professor used to always use this term uh, with me and he used to say confusion is the doorway to understanding so for me whenever I knew I was on the right path uh, was when I was the most confused when I was the most challenged when I when I felt like I was in uh, a really tough space I always felt like that was the path I needed to tread through so for me um, I, I gained comfort in that confusion. I gain comfort in those challenging spaces. But I will also say, and a lot of people always say, I always tell stories, and I like to tell, tell stories to really describe. And again, it has something to do with my father. Um, my first year, I was, so I interned at Motorola before I worked there full time. So my first year interning, I got up there, um, it was in Chicago. Uh, Motorola headquarters were in Chicago at the time. I got up there and all of these white and Asian kids from these top universities were there. And I literally felt like I didn't belong. And I remember calling my mom and I was like, I'm gonna work here for one week, get my paycheck after one week, and I'm leaving. And my mom was like, nah, well, you can't do that. She said, well, um, so she called my father and she was like, you need to find someone in Chicago that will hold him down on the weekends. So my father called his brother, G2 Ayusi, and then he called his guy in Chicago, Conrad Worrell. And the, the guy, Conrad, he's, um, he was an activist in Chicago, Southside Chicago. He lived in the hood hood. And he called me, he said, you do your thing on the weekday around all of those folks. And then on the weekends, you come here and you stay with me. So you really have to take on that struggle don't shy away from it, but you've got to find those pockets where you can get held down. Do not, also do not think that you can go without being held down. And so I would work on the weekdays and um, have a hell of a time. Not great at all, but then my weekends in the south side of Chicago, that's like my, I love Chicago. Chicago's one of my favorite cities in the whole world. Because I used to spend my weekends in the south side going to like um, reparations rallies with comrades. But that would energize me for that week. And that's how I got through those. So firstly, I got to say that your dream and your vision has to be bigger than your environment and your circumstance. And the reason that's important is because I was a, I was a preacher's kid. So if you're a preacher's kid, you're going to be a preacher. And so they, you know, they did, they out me like the boy, boy preacher and all of that. And I was like, it's no way that I am going to serve my community because it was all about service, by the way. The underlying uh, theme was about service. I was like, man, how can I possibly get out of serving in this way? 
and I thought about community service in a, in a bigger way. But uh, Brother Masariki, I think that is is funny and it's similar uh, similarities in the story because your family being so deeply engrossed in the struggle for black people and you taking a whole different pathway, I think is a, is a far more amazing story because it would have been very simple and easy for you to fall into that pathway and not understand that by you breaking the barriers in science, you were doing exactly what your family wanted you to do. So it's, it's, it's very close, but you got to find your pathway and your road to do what the mission and vision of your family is. And I believe that you're doing that. I believe I was able uh, to do that and find that on my own. But truly, your mission and vision has to be bigger than your circumstance and your environment. And so when you get to a level of success, does adversity stop, right? Do you, do you get to a place, like, is there this, this place that actually exists where you have arrived and now because you arrived, there are no adversity and it's just a smooth ride? Uh, obviously, the answer is never. But what I will say is, and Syriac said something earlier when he was talking about AI, and that our community writ large has stepped back and allowed other entities to really lead the way in AI. And what Syriac said was, we need to steer into it. We need to embrace it. We need to engage it. We need to jump in. And so the more successful that you become, you actually have to begin to seek out those challenging spaces. Well, in the words of those great, that great American poet, uh, Christopher Wallace, more money, more problems. This new emerging industry in cannabis, we should be going headfirst into it and controlling the vertical supply chain so that can be ours. That can be our uh, a way of building and transferring wealth. So it was never about dispensaries, per se. It was about controlling the vertical supply chain. And of course, when you talk that language, there are obstacles because people put those obstacles. If you want a dispensary, ain't nobody going to stop you from that. That's a retail outlet. But if you want to control the vertical supply chain, which is what I want to do and what we should be doing, there's plenty of adversity to that. And, and, and can, you, can you explain that a little, a little bit for us, right? As far as controlling the vertical, controlling the supply chain. Because um, I, I feel like um, music... Right. You think about hip hop, um, the fact that even to, the, to this day, this year, we're celebrating 50 years of hip hop. Right. We never really control the vertical or the supply chain. Right. The distribution of music. And so something that we actually started, something that we actually, um, you know, uh, like we are the source to it. Monetarily, though, we're not the ones as a community. We're not the ones that benefit from it to the, to the tune of now because we don't own the distribution or the supply chain, we allow those that are not even from our community to dictate what we hear. And we know the power of music. We know the power of sound. This is why we did affirmations. But now it's being controlled and the narrative is being controlled by, by you know things that are outside of us. So can you explain a little more like how important that vertical and supply chain is. Yeah, so 
one of the first things that the legislation around uh, adult use recreational marijuana did was say that you could not control the vertical supply chain in legislation, wow. which was, in my opinion, anti-capitalist, wow. right? And I, and I screamed that from the top of the rafters. I was like, wait a second, you can only, so I, Rob Corning, or anybody else can only operate in one facet of the vertical supply chain. That's not how wealth is built. You got to be able to control the growth and cultivation, the transportation, the insurance. The like. And so what they said was, well, Rob, if you do dispensaries, you can't do any other thing. That's not how characteristically capitalism actually works. So I thought it was odd from the beginning that that's, you would put that in legislation, that I can't do anything other than that. So controlling the vertical, vertical supply chain looks like I got a farm upstate New York. I have a trucking company that moves that around the state that product around the state. I have a family member or friend or somebody close to me that does the insurance that, you know, so we can't do, that's not allowed in the state of New York. The state of New York is the only place that that's not allowed, quite frankly. So if you're, you're in Jersey, you're in Massachusetts, you're in Colorado, you're in California, you can own a vertical supply chain. So you can control everything up and down that vertical supply chain. So what that means in, the, in my bodega analogy is, the reason that there are very few, if any, left remaining black bodegas is because if you don't control or have input into that vertical supply chain, then what costs one store canopies for 38 cents, you're going to pay 44 cents for that because you're not a part of that vertical supply chain. So you're going to pay more and you're ultimately going to charge your customer more and your customer's not going to shop there because if I can go across the street and get it from a network, not understanding that this is a network and everybody in this room knows which networks I'm talking about and who those people are, but they've dominated those vertical supply chains. So I was over the moon excited about the opportunity to get into an industry, not to own a dispensary, but to control a vertical supply chain and to be known as a people for something that was ours. And they nipped that in the bud from the beginning. And so I'm around, so, uh, Artificial intelligence is like taking the world by storm. Um, and I, and like literally, like I, I'm an author, I'm a, a book coach. Um, 2009, I wrote my first book. Took me eight months to do it. Uh, I'm on book number 14. I wrote a book this year. Took me five hours, right? To do with artificial intelligence. Then I was introduced to a new AI, Claude 2. So I was using, I was, I was chat GPT all day, right? Then I used Claude 2. It just like changed my whole, like I'm able to upload whole documents and train this AI to do things that would take me literally a year to do. I can do it in a day, in, in minutes, right? Uh, and for me, I feel like AI, is the great equalizer. Like we talk about generational wealth all the time, but us as a, as a people, if we jump on and learn about AI, but not only learn, but be a part of, um, the creation of it, we could really, um, close that wealth gap. Can you talk about how urgent and important it is for us to, um, be a part of AI, but then also, in what ways do you suggest, as the lead scientist, uh, how do you suggest us as a community embrace artificial intelligence? 
Oh, there's, there's a lot there. Let me, let me start by saying thank you for that question. Um, let me jump in by making an analogy. So AI, a lot of people think about AI as innovation. AI is about discovery. So what you're starting to see now are companies investing in the ability to discover new pathways for AI. So the analogy I will use is, let's go all the way back to the 1800s and the gold rush. So when you had the gold rush, you had the gold rush broken up into different types of people. So you had the infrastructure people. That were the people who sold the shovels, who sold the pickaxes. Companies like Levi's and Strauss literally came into being because of... Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Gold Rush. They sold clothes for the Gold Rush. Bank, Wells Fargo. Two men, last name Wells, last name Fargo, created the bank to support what was happening in the Gold Rush. The state of California is one of the largest economies in the world because of the gold rush. So infrastructure was important. Then you had people who were actually going into the mines and doing the work to go get the gold. And what would happen? You would get that gold and you bring that back to the town and sell. In that, in that whole pathway, African-Americans, we're the ones who are buying the gold and the jewelry at the end. But you have a whole economic system happening of investment and infrastructure and capability before that. We bought the gold and we put the gold on, but there was a whole infrastructure supporting, supporting that and whole economies being made. That is literally what is happening with AI. So you have my old company, NVIDIA, Microsoft, Google are the infrastructure companies. They're investing billions and billions and billions of dollars into supercompute technology. It's period, point blank. My son can go to college three, four, five times over with the money I made from equity from NVIDIA's stock in one year doing something that no other technology stock has ever done. They turned into a trillion dollar, literally a trillion dollar company overnight, right? But that's because everyone is propping up the infrastructure and then they're leaving it up to us to be the users of. The challenge for this community, for our community now, is to get in at the front end, the infrastructure and the development end. So you mentioned companies like Anthropic, Inflection AI, um, ChatG, uh, OpenAI, all of these companies, they're in the middle. So you've got the big infrastructure companies, then you've got the middle companies. And all they do is create software to then sell to us. So the question is, as a people, where do we want to be? Now, to answer the latter half of that, we need to start imploring 
our leaders, our community leaders, um, uh, Congress people, senators, council members, to begin to invest in infrastructure that is for our community. So we talk about reparations. Imagine if at the federal level, the federal government invests billions and billions of dollars into supercompute technology. They're at our national labs and they're at universities. Imagine if the flip of a switch, they can say any African-American in any community now have access to the supercompute technology at no cost. Like that can be done tomorrow. Any black or brown person from any community in the United States can have access to supercompute power. That's one. Then we have to have the infrastructure. It's supposed to be the HBCUs, but we have to have the infrastructure to train and, and, and get our community to the place where they can use this infrastructure. Then that's when the magic happens. That's the innovation. That's, that's the discovery. Because what you're seeing now is companies investing in the infrastructure and then the discovery is happening and they're keeping it within themselves. But be, before I hand it off, one last thing I want to say. If we all agree that AI is the future and AI will be used to write books, to, to um, send emails, to do all sorts of things for us, and we're going to rely on it heavily, why is it that we're so comfortable with people that don't look like us literally creating AI for us to use? We, we have to jump in. So I just want to point out that I hope you don't think you're hearing two different conversations because the infrastructure around AI and around cannabis is the same. Uh, the examples that he used, he used the gold rush as the standard that was set for how we got to where we are. I used prohibition, which also was the, was the, was the, was what set up the ability to have now, uh, medical and recreation use marijuana. It's actually the same. So I, I need y'all to have your listening ears not around two different industries, but around one business model that allows us to integrate ourselves into that model. That's the importance of this conversation. So Ash, Syriac, y'all definitely knew what you was doing by putting these two topics on the same stage. And at first, before you started talking and I started talking, I was confused. I was like, I don't know where we're gonna go with this, Brother Marshall Ricky, but it became crystal clear though that these new emerging industries and the opportunity for black folks to get in in the beginning still exists. And, and so to, to, to that point, right, so similarly, um, you know, I don't want to paint it all rosy, right? Like people are afraid of AI, right? Because, you know, I'm hearing AI could take over the world and create, you know, worlds outside of the human race and things of that nature. When people think about cannabis, they think about, you know, the reason why legalizing it uh, may be, be negative, um, you know, to, to our society. Can y'all both kind of touch of... Are there any potential dangers in cannabis or AI? So the answer is yes. A book that I um, uh, came up reading and really enjoyed 
Um, I don't know if it was a good book or not, but it, I enjoyed reading it. It's called uh, To Engineer is Human. It's by uh, Henry Petrosky. The book basically says, it's this book on actual, actually like actual real infrastructure, like roads, bridges, um, pathways, and so on and so forth. And what the book talks about is the fact that there were so many people who died not only building these marvels, but also so many people died because there were all sorts of structural and challenging and engineering things that we didn't do right. And so bridges would collapse, overpasses would collapse, and people would die. The book basically says, if decades ago, if we paused because we saw all of the problematic things that could possibly happen, if we pause our capability to invest in infrastructure, then we wouldn't be where we are today. So that there were always going to be concerns. There were always going to be things that could uh, negatively impact something. But how do we as a community say, let's still move forward and let's take this on, understanding the challenges that lie before us? In, to your earlier question. Well, let me also say this. For, 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 for everyone to kind of set this, be clear around AI, what people talk about when they talk about these concerns around AI is that some of the best AI models now have the ability to teach itself things. So for instance, if I built an AI model that I, I use to actually build an architectural blueprint uh, to build a building on its own, use generative AI to build a building on its own, you could actually build a model where the AI teaches itself calculus, differential equations, and any other complex thing that a human would need, would take years to learn, it would teach itself this capability overnight. It's called self-supervised learning. The, the way you want to think about this is, if you have a two-year-old in a living room for five days um, uh, out of the week, and every day you come in and you vacuum in front of that two-year-old, and then on the sixth day, if you bought one of those, remember those Fisher-Price little vacuum things and you would roll it and the balls would like pop? <laughs> if you came and brought that and gave that to the two-year-old, what would they do? Vacuum. That's right. They would grab it and they would stand up and they would start to push. So there's this chat GPT came into prominence because they used for the first time this concept called self-supervised learning, which was as humans, we learn from observing. Computers never learn from observing. They used to learn from what we would tell them. So for the first time, because you spent hundreds of millions of dollars on supercompute power, you now taught the computer to teach itself. So the fear is, this is the fear. The fear is that because you now have the capability for computers to teach itself, when you ask it a question, it can learn how to answer that question correctly. What if you ask it, how do we solve the problem of global warming? And the computer comes to the conclusion its own, well, we've got to get rid of a number of humans on the planet in order to make sure we have a sustainable planet. And then the fear is that these computers are now all connected because of the internet, and then you got Skynet. So we're way off from that. People took this concept of self-supervised learning and then turned it into you know, Skynet. But we're, we're far from that. But 
What we have to do, what you'll notice as African-Americans, the top AI scientists as African-Americans are the ones who are saying, we need to be concerned about ethics, we need to be concerned about bias, we need to be concerned about all of these things of AI. That's important. But we also need to have AI scientists who are saying, yes, but let's go. Let's move. Because the value here um, um, is so big, we cannot sit back and let others do this for us. So the answer obviously is yes. Uh, for me, one of my biggest fears and one of the biggest fears of the industry is that government's artificial integration into the product life cycle has never worked. So this is a new emerging industry and the overreaching and overarching ability for government to shape it is a recipe for disaster, right? So business should be allowed to operate in the market and let the market dictate what happens. We don't have that right now. And for me, that's my biggest fear is that if this continues in that direction, we'll never get the best out of the industry or the people who are committing themselves to that industry. So for me, government overreach in emerging industry is a recipe for disaster. And so with, with the importance of us as a people getting in early, uh, what are the first steps? Someone wants to get into the cannabis business, somebody, you know, they want to get into AI, uh, you know, for the audience, where, where do they start? Yeah, so all of the licenses have now been issued and we've had injunction over injunction for um, dispensaries. Right. And I've cautioned people. I once was at a Latino business association meeting and all of those Latino businesses wanted dispensaries. And some of them had supermarket spaces. So I was I was like, why would you with a hundred thousand square feet of um, of space want a dispensary and not an indoor grow? Why would you who is responsible for the trucking industry in this particular industry? If you wanted to transfer that, you would want a dispensary and not want to transfer late what you've done in trucking as an ease of entry into the market. So for me, I would say, look at all the other opportunities. Don't rush to one opportunity. There's an entire vertical supply chain that we are underrepresented in. But because we've been told the only place we can get in at is in a dispensary, which is a ridiculous proposition because we all know that within the first two or three years, businesses, especially retail, fail. So why would we all rush to take our money out of our 401ks and to uh, take out uh, equity, home, home equity lines of credit and all those kinds of things to get a dispensary as opposed to looking at what may be best suited for what you've done all your life or an ease of entry into the market? That, that's all I would caution people is not to listen, but to do a little bit of research and find out what opportun other opportunities are available up and down the vertical supply chain. So two quick things to that question. So um, I, I also didn't mention that uh, here in Brooklyn on DeKalb Avenue, there used to be a IBM plant on DeKalb Avenue. And my mom was uh, HR at that IBM plant. So when the first set of computers were being built, they were being built right here in Brooklyn. All of you guys know where that Home Depot on DeKalb Avenue, that used to be the IBM. And so my mom knew it was important for me to learn about computers because she saw this revolution coming. So she taught herself 
how to program so she could teach me how to program in the fourth grade. So one, and we do that all the time. This new math, I'm, for my 11 year old, I have to teach myself math. Mind you, I have a PhD in computer science. I have to teach myself math just to teach him or help him with his math, right? So we do that all the time as parents. We learn such that we can teach. And that's what we need to do. And so my 11-year-old, he's been learning how to code since, what, four or five years old. Because I've been teaching him. So one, no one here is too old or too out of touch with technology to teach themselves just enough to teach someone else. Period, point blank. My mom was an HR representative at IBM, and she taught herself how to code in basic so she could teach me. So, so one, we need to be teaching each other. Do not shy away from this idea of learning and teaching. Because through teaching, you mentioned I used to adjunct at NYU, I adjunct at uh, Harvard, I adjunct at a few places because I always stayed teaching because it allowed for me to continuously learn. So that's one. Second is we have to actually, and I'm gonna tie it into what um, Robert Carnegie is talking about in terms of business. So I don't want us to get scared and nervous about AI because we have to learn how to program and we have to learn AI models and deep learning and, and, and transformers and all of these things. If you have a business or you are engaged with an organization, AI, AI models are nothing without what? Without data. Without data. Data is the fuel that powers AI. ChatGPT is only ChatGPT because it trained on billions upon billions upon billions of manuscripts and documents. So it's the data. So if you're Robert and you're running a dispensary, there's probably so many things you know about cannabis and surrounding areas and how it's used that you, in the AI world, I'm gonna give you guys a little secret. In the AI world, there's this term called white truffle data. You guys know what white truffles are, right? It's the most expensive stuff that you could put on top of any of your food. It's super expensive. But in the industry, Google, NVIDIA, all of these companies talk about white truffle data. That is data that they don't have access to but that organizations like yours has access to and they would pay top dollar for it. So if you have a business or you are part of an organization that has data that is important, then that's step one in terms of then connecting with other organizations to build models and then now you, you are using AI. So don't think about AI as I have to learn how to program first for me to become an AI leader you just have to be a powerful data player. And then you can jump into the space easily from that pathway as well. Love it. All right, so as, as we wrap up, um, talk to us about the future, right? Take me 10 years from now. What, what, what does, in your eyes, what do you want it to look like? What does it look like? What does AI look like? What does the cannabis uh, business look like? Uh, and in a perfect world, what does that mean for us as people? Um, I think AI in the future makes us all smarter and better able to engage at the levels 
that we will want it. Let me give an example. And so Robert Carnegie was a council member when I was working in the um, mayor's office and I was running uh, the mayor's office for data and analytics. And I always used to say, I didn't say it out loud when I was going to hearings, but I always used to say city council, their love language is laws, right? It's like they will throw out a law quicker than you can blink an eye, right? Think about this. Think about ChatGPT. A lot of people think about ChatGPT from the con um, from the idea that, well, I'll ask it some questions and it'll send me some really cool stuff back, or I'll tell it to write a letter and it'll write a letter and I can copy and paste that and send that. But the power of ChatGPT is processing information and understanding that information and then making it available. So think about processing information. Imagine if you had an AI model that went through every single local law that has ever been written over time and processes that and then gives that to you as a business owner or as an individual and now allows you to navigate your community in a, almost as if you are the most expert urban planner on the planet. You know more and everything about your community now because you've processed that information in a way that is usable. Think about processing. How many of you, probably most of you today have already downloaded an app and when they give you that like um, privacy uh, and, and make you sign off and say accept before you can use the app? Imagine ChatGPT processing that information for you. Or I, I just bought a car a little while ago and I had to sign so many documents, I didn't read any of those documents I put my signature on. Imagine your ChatGPT, your large language model, if you will, processing that information for you and then popping up and telling the dealer, uh-uh, no, no, no. We don't want to sign because of this, 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 and this, right? That is the future of technology is that we will be more empowered and more thoughtful and smarter about our ecosystem than ever before. I think that's the good, the good side. So for me, as it relates to cannabis, a lot of people don't realize that there is a tremendous amount of science between the growth and cultivation of the plant, right? And so, so there are many people who are actually scientists who are hired in order to produce the most potent or the longest lasting or those. So my, I think that, uh, you know, myself and brother Marshariki 10 years from now, who have created between uh, AI and cannabis things that are uh, that deal directly from a medicinal standpoint to what ails our community, right? So in 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 my store, right, shameless plug, we have 300 products. Some of everything from tinctures to salves, right? I used on my, on this bad left knee from St. John's. I used some some creams last night that were CBD and THC based. So really science is gonna to move to the place that, uh, whether it's um, diabetes in our community, whether it's um, asthma, uh, there will be a marriage between technology and the plant which comes from the earth that will have its healing properties. That's my, that's my vision and that's my dream is that, um, for those of you who are old like me, who are still calling it reefer <laughs> or weed, that cannabis will actually be used more for its healing properties, which exist 
with or without technology or my dispensary and were used by Native Americans for healing purposes. We'll go back to that, but enhance it by using technology and AI to get the greatest properties out for, for diseases and ailments that are directly negatively impacting our community. For me, that would be success. Love that. All right, so uh, any last words uh, for our audience? Uh, and then also, where can people connect with you and, and find out more information from you? I think the thing that keeps me up at night is that opportunities like this are absolutely amazing. And I want to thank Syriac and his team for inviting me in to be a part of this. The, the thing that keeps me up at night is that my day-to-day -day work pulls me away from people like this. But that's because when I got into the computer science space, it was the early 80s, and that was the name of the game. You had to work around a certain type of folks. And I just would implore um, everyone out here to start embracing these technologies and saying, we should be, so that the next generation, my son and folks, and, my, and, and, and where's my nephew, Cat Cat, somewhere around here, also 11, 12, that they don't feel like they have to be separated from their community in order to hit their dreams the way that they want in computer science or AI or in math. And I think this is the generation that's gonna pull all of that together. Um, uh, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, ping me, but yeah, I think that's Instagram. Those are the best ways to, to keep in touch. But please, if there's anyone that wants to reach out and engage, I'll be more than, more than happy to and excited to engage in any way, shape or form. So I'm excited about this environment because it allows us to be unencumbered by uh, social norms and we can in here go up to each other and go, hey, brother, what you do? And then begin to have a conversation about what you do and what you do and how that impacts me and whatever. I would like that to be outside of these walls. So for your son and for my sons and daughters to be able to think that it's socially normal to go to somebody and ask, hey, what is it that you do? on the street, on the bus, on the train, because we're so inhibited by being in our own bubbles that this is a safe space that teaches us we can go and talk to folks and find out what they do. So if we could take that outside of here, and if nowhere else, at least in our community, and make it a norm to be able to ask somebody what they do and how they, what it took for them to get that, whether it's the, the, the restaurant owner that you're buying dinner at his restaurant in our neighborhood, or whether it's the bus driver, or whether it's somebody who has a look that you like, break down the barriers to be able to go and talk to them and, and ask them what they do. Because it's so comfortable in here to do that, I can't imagine what it would do for our community. I can't, I can't spread it to the whole world, but we can do it in our community immediately tomorrow, begin the process of asking people and making it socially acceptable and the norm to ask somebody, no matter how they look, no matter what they're doing, what it is they do, and how you can be connected to what they do. All right, ladies and gentlemen, round of applause, Dr. Amin Ra Mashariki, Robert Kornicki. Uh, we appreciate you. Uh, make sure you, you, you connect with them, you follow them. Uh, me, I am Ash Cash. Make sure you visit my website, imashcash.com. Make sure you subscribe to Inside the Vault. 
Just go to InsideTheVaultTV.com, uh, greatest money, money mindset show on the planet. Uh, we appreciate you. Uh, and my last words are really about making sure that you are taking advantage of this opportunity right now, right? We are in a space where we are in a revolution, right? When you think about the industrial revolution, technology, cannabis, like a lot of the opportunities that we didn't have an opportunity to take advantage of are now here. It's happening now, though, right? It's not, it's not an opportunity for us to wait for. It's an opportunity for us to seize the moment. So make sure, like, while you're in this room, you know, connect with us. You know, connect, connect with everybody. Uh, make sure that you leave uh, connecting with people that you didn't know. Learn what they do because, you know, together as a group, right? Group economics is what it's about. Together as a group is how we're going to move further, right? There's an African proverb that says if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, we have to go together. Thank you. I appreciate you. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.